Hello, and welcome back to uh, yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is educating about and working towards a true people's liberation movement. I am your host, Josh. Um, if this is your first time tuning in, thanks for stopping by. Uh, I hope that we can get a good episode in for you today, uh, and we'll get you coming back. Um, to those of you who are coming back, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I hope that <clears throat> I can make it worth your while. Um, so I want to talk about something, and I, I think this is going to be an episode where I kind of like, not that I do a great job of presenting myself as an intellectual or as a, you know, a fairly um, intelligent person sometimes, but um, I feel like I'm going to break the fourth wall in this episode and talk about something that I don't really have a lot of expertise on whatsoever. Um, and so if I come off as ignorant or if I come off as unintelligent, um, it's because I am. And that's the whole point of this episode. Um, so something that I've been doing a lot of because I feel like it isn't in any sort of mainstream, uh, you know, media, it's not in any mainstream uh politics or anything like that in any kind of uh, surmountable way, um, but I've been spending a lot of time, you know, studying up on, um, as much as I can, uh, indigenous peoples, uh, indigenous cultures, but especially uh, indigenous resistance, indigenous, uh, you know, treaty rights and sovereignty, um, and indigenous activists who are alive today. Um someone who I have a great respect for um, and is really the inspiration for this episode uh, is Dr. Nick Estes, who's the host of the Red Nation podcast. So if you don't know about that show, go ahead and check that out. That's a great show. Um, you can also check out their sister show uh, hosted by Melanie Yazzie, also a, a big inspiration of mine called Red Power Hour. Um, both fantastic shows. Uh, but I, I, I mentioned uh, Nick Estes first because um, he was who I found first and kind of what I've spent a lot of my time, uh, who I spent a lot of my time learning from lately. So I, uh, for the longest time now, probably for about a year and a half, I've called myself a leftist. Um, before then, I've been a lot of things. I've been a liberal. I've been a conservative. I was a... Uh, raised uh, an extremely conservative Protestant kid. Um, so it's only, you know, understandable as to why my political development and my social development, uh, especially considering that I grew up decently um, well off and white in America, definitely hasn't helped uh, present me with the world in any kind of way that's going to I guess, sh show me that my needs aren't the most predominant, the most important things on, on the agenda, you know? Uh, and so I found the Red Nation podcast probably about, I want to say, a year ago. Um, and I was looking into it because at that time I got a, actually, no, probably eight or, eight or nine months ago, but regardless, I got a book. Um, for my partner, uh, it's a Native American history almanac. It's fucking huge. Um, 
and it goes over the history, the cultures, the wars, like the um, practices, the hunting and fishing traditions. And it's, it's an expansive book that so far what I've read of it has been fantastic. But I also feel like in some cases I don't learn as well from books as I would like to because I have an inability to sit still. Um, I have really bad ADHD, which makes it impossible for me to like, you know, finish a sentence and remember what I just read, right? Um, so I've, I've found that conversation, you know, YouTube videos, podcasts, stuff like that have been an incredible... Sorry about that. <laughs> That's my phone. I uh, have been an incredible... Um, you know, teaching uh, tool and have been something that has been able to uh, help me to educate myself in a way that I probably wouldn't have been able to had those, you know, things not been available. So I want to shout out Nick and the Red Nation podcast and Red Power Hour because I think that they have been an incredible force in my development as uh, a person and also the inspiration for what I want to talk about in this show. Um, so I've spent a good portion of probably the last two weeks or so reaching out to as many people as I can, um, and I uh, I really have been trying to get in contact with as many folks who seem to be wanting to do the same thing I'm doing, who seem to be wanting to have the conversations I'm having, um, and it's been hard because I haven't heard back from many, Um and that's okay because, I mean, not for nothing. Everybody's busy. Everybody has their own life. And, like, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So don't take what I'm saying for any kind of hurt feelings or anything. But it has been difficult considering that, you know, we share very similar ideas, the people I'm reaching out to. Um, a lot of them are authors or fellow podcasters who I've listened to or read that I respect and I want to, you know, have a conversation with. Excuse me, I take a sip of this coffee here. And because they haven't really reached back out, it's been, you know, upsetting. But the whole point of me saying that is I feel like something that we on the left need to begin doing is recognizing that the things that we're calling for, the change that we want, is not going to come from any halls of power, is not going to come from any decision or legislative committees that exist within this country, um, because first and foremost, if they were, they would have by now. Um, they, The same group, the same class of people have been in charge since the earliest Virginia colonies, the Pennsylvania colonies, or Pennsylvania and Virginia colonies, excuse me. Um, and so it, it's clear to see that if any change was intended by these bodies of power, then that's what they would have done. Um, but because they haven't, and because throughout the time that they haven't done that, so many people have called on them and demanded that they do, uh, you know, there's been rebellions, insurrections, riots, protests, sit-ins, all kinds of acti you know, activist um, actions. Uh, and yet, the change that we have seen has been so incremental, it's almost insignificant. And that's not to take away, you know, because there's a, a, a pretty little line you got to walk when you're talking about stuff like this, because you don't want to say that, okay, we don't want to fight for reforms, because somebody's going to hop in your mentions and say, 
oh, well, it's important for the millions of people who are suffering right now to get those reforms. And I agree wholeheartedly, and that's why we have to demand that the, the powers that be that exist right now grant human beings a dignified life in whatever that looks like, right? But we also have to recognize that if we want a society that's built on true equality, built on true justice, it's not going to come from the society that we live in today. Um, I, I guess that's an improper way of putting it. It will come from it, but it's not going to be in charge of it, right? Um, the changes that we need, the true shift in society um, from the rule of the few wealthy elites over the majority um, to the opposite needs to happen far before the changes that we are advocating for and the people in this world desperately need are going to happen. Um, but in saying that, I also recognize that it's important to also call um, you know, the people who are in power out and demand that they take these steps in good faith to show that they are there to actually be uh, a voice of the people, to be there for the people. Now, um, I'm not going to get into it too much, but Joe Biden is not that person. So all in all, I'm saying all of this to say that if we want the change that we want, we're going to have to do it with one another, okay? It's going to have to be a big group project, and I know how much we all love group projects. But there's only one place that we can start, right? And that's something that I've been working on myself, and that's even just reaching out to people. Um, so like I said, I've spent a good portion of the last few weeks reaching out to as many you know, uh, like-minded thinkers as I can to try to get them on the show. I've got a few. Um, but more importantly, I'm really reaching out because I want to build a correspondence with, I want to build a relationship, a kinship with, and I want to build solidarity with all the people across the world who are fighting exactly for the same things that I'm fighting for, or trying to fight for, right? Because as it stands right now, I'm a 21-year-old white kid sitting in his partner's mom's apartment on the ground recording a podcast. Um, so it's very uh, unclear what it is exactly I am doing to fight for change. And that's kind of what I'm trying to work on, right? Um, because I don't really know how to break out into, you know, practice, break out into actually on the grounds helping people. And it's been incredibly difficult during COVID for a lot of different organizations, a lot of different people to get out and do the things that they normally would be doing. Um, but I think this is why podcasts and YouTube and stuff like that, this media that is, you know, coming to being because of uh, technology is incredibly important because if we right now during COVID don't have the ability to or don't have the inclination to be around people, there are things that we can do without being directly there, you know. We've all had to do Zoom chats and as uncomfortable and awkward and awful as they are, that's a form of connection that we have that we otherwise wouldn't. Uh, same with social media. Same with just about all technology. But the problem is we have to use it for what, you know, it's good for. And I think that the Red Nation, Red Power Hour are two clear examples of doing just that. And so that's why I reached out to them. I reached out to a lot of other folks. Um, but I wanted to talk about the Red Nation specifically because I am incredibly ignorant when it comes to indigenous struggles 
um, indigenous culture and indigenous people. Um, so a little backstory on myself. I grew up um, right outside of a reservation in central New York. Um, I grew up right outside of Oneida. And unfortunately, as far as I can recall, which might not really mean much because I didn't pay attention much in school, uh, back to the ADHD thing, right? Um, I don't ever recall learning much about the folks there. I don't ever recall learning much about, um, you know, Native people in general. Um, and I especially don't recall learning about Indigenous resistance. So Indigenous resistance is something that seems to come up time and time again in my studies, uh, whether I'm looking up books to read, uh, YouTube channels to watch, videos to watch, podcasts to listen to. And it's really struck me because I don't think this is something that the average American really understands. Um, indigenous resistance, right, is being indigenous. Being indigenous is an act of resistance because since the first colonists, the first settlers stepped foot in the Caribbean, stepped foot on North America, they have been actively working towards terminating the entire native race. And there is, uh, and race might not be the right word there. See, this is kind of why I wanted to talk about this. Um, there's definitely a lot of history there that I couldn't cover if I tried, because not only do I not know it, but I, I don't feel comfortable sharing it because I don't, I, I'm not the person to do that, you know. But something that is quite evident, and you can get it by reading um, Nick Estes's Our History is the Future, is that the fact that Native people, Indigenous people, here in South America and all over the world still exist to this day is, quite honestly, the most success, successful revolutionary story there ever has been far more successful than the Russian Revolution, far more successful than China, than Vietnam, than all these places all over the world, right, that we commonly learn about. And that's not to take away from those revolutions, because those revolutions are the reason why we're having this conversation right now. But I think that we do ourselves a disservice, and that's speaking lightly, by ignoring indigenous resistance, which much of the left does. And I think that it is about time that we start having this conversation because otherwise, um, and I, I know that this is a long shot, but there is a chance that what we are fighting for comes in contradiction with and comes at odds to indigenous people's suffering and indigenous people's struggles. We have to be well aware that they, as a, a group of people, the indigenous people, um, no resistance, no struggle in such a natural way that they are who we must turn to and learn from if anything that we are fighting for is to be successful. Um, in Nick Estes's book, Our History is the Future, he discusses uh, many different versions of resistance. For example, 
the Dakota Access Pipeline protests, right? Um, that was a uh, occupying movement uh, that got national attention. Um, but there has been resistance in indigenous culture, in indigenous people's, uh, you know, actions just by simply existing. Um, during the time when uh, we started expanding colonies in the, I want to say, mid-1700s, um, the Seminoles in Florida were able to put up active resistance, I think, for multiple years against the, uh, the army and against the National Guard and different militias who kept going down into Florida to try to take the land from them. Um, but there's also um, the, the, you know, the nations, the, the, the reservations who, rather than subjecting themselves to dependence and rule by this colonial state are able to hold autonomy, sovereignty, and be able to keep themselves alive. Um, if you're not aware of this, by a long shot, indigenous people are the most affected by COVID-19, and indigenous reservations especially, um, due to a lack of funding given by the uh, federal government, as well as, you know, a long, expansive history of termination, massacring, mutilation, assimilation, um, and many other things, these nations are put in a predicament, put in a position where they are alone. The Navajo Nation, at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, when requesting money um, and PPE, uh, from the federal government instead received body bags. Uh, and that right there is a clear indicator as to the intentions of the United States government um, and the United States as, as an entity, you know, what it represents, what its essence is of white uh, settlerism uh, and white supremacy that dominates this country in a way that, you know, I, I can't speak to um, because I'm, you know, privy to it. I am privileged because of it and so I don't know that I have the right voice to speak to what that uh, white supremacy really does in our country but it's clear to me and it should be clear to anyone who cares um, that this white supremacy has to be dealt with right and that doesn't mean sweeping it under the rug that doesn't mean appointing a person of color or an indigenous person to your committee or your decision board, or hiring at the, them at a job, you know. Uh, solidarity and relationships are built between people in a truly respectable manner, where each party is coming together with an equal amount of respect, and is the intention is to come to a decision that will benefit both parties, right? And I mentioned earlier that, you know, there's a lot of struggles that the left is taking up, that will build up to contradiction, contradictory uh, positions against indigenous struggles. And now, do, are we going to sit here and say, well, well, Marx and Engels and Lenin never talked about, um, you know, what we would do with indigenous struggles? You know, they never really talk about specifically how to handle those things. So we, it must be that that's not important. And don't, don't sit there and argue with me. You know that for a fact there is a ginormous portion of the left that will take that stance. 
whether explicitly or implicitly, right? And I think so then it's important that we start to take into effect that there is this vast history of resistance that most of the left does not discuss, most of the left does not research, does not study, and most of the left has no interest in implementing into our you know, actions, into our um, theory. And that is, as I said earlier, an incredible disservice to the left, but more importantly, it is participating in assimilation. It is participating in termination when we ignore the voices, when we ignore the struggles, when we ignore the hundreds of years of resistance that native and indigenous people across the world have put up against white settlerism, against colonialism, against imperialism, and against white supremacy, right? So I brought up the Red Nation earlier. The reason why I recorded this podcast is because I think that I would absolutely love to figure out a way to uh, get in contact with them and have them on this show to talk about something like that. Because, like I said, um, the left doesn't talk about that, at least in the spheres that I'm in, in any shape or form that they should. And that is ridiculous because um, the fact that indigenous people are still alive today shows precisely how strong that that nature of resistance, that... that um, passion for survival is and that is something that we need and not for nothing as i mentioned in a lot of the emails and messages that i sent to folks not just the red nation but in general um we're going to need numbers for what we want to do and we can't expect that those numbers are just going to be all our white buddies on facebook who all read the same books that we did um there is a diverse um population in this country and all over the world um, there are people of all races, all religions, all sexual orientations, all ethnicities, all backgrounds, and all of these people need to figure out a way to live simultaneously and uh, uh, symbiotically with one another because not for nothing, we're all on this planet. And I'm not trying to take this in a, in a crude manner and say, well, we have to fucking figure it out one way or another, but that's that's the truth because... As we have seen, thanks to the United States government, there's no help coming from the top. So if we want to start dealing with the inequality, the poverty, the homelessness, the starvation that is, you know, in existence in this country, we have to recognize that that's going to take a lot more people than just some, you know, elected official. Um, Because not for nothing, not only is that elected official not taking any steps to, in a lot of cases, to solve the problems, only to mitigate the symptoms and to appease the people calling for change. But also, um, one person can simply not change the problems we're facing. Uh, The inequality that we are facing in this planet is larger than at any time in history ever. Um, And that is saying something because There are banking firms like the IMF and the World Bank that are so large that they, you know, combined own more wealth than half of the countries combined on this planet. And then there's those nations who, you know, like the Navajo, who are in desperate need of help, who then get body bags instead of PPE, medicine, and funds, right? And that's that separation, that distinction between wealth and po- poverty um, is the basis for the class society that we live in today. 
Um, that meaning that there's a distinction between those who are in charge of the society that we live in and those who are under the control of those people. Um, as I always say, you know, if you're listening to this show, you know, kind of take a guess as to which one you fall into. But it's true because, unfortunately, um, as many of us are becoming more aware, uh, the United States government has no intention of solving these problems. Um, during the pandemic, we saw as the Democrats and the Republicans just argued like school children in the Senate and the House about trying to pass a stimulus bill of which none of us have even reaped any of the gains from. Um, we don't even know if we're getting 2000 or 1400 and that's a whole nother story. But the fact of the matter is quite simple. There are ways that we can solve the problems we are facing today that are going to actually solve the problems. And then there are ways that we can attack these problems that are going to mitigate the symptoms. Um, inequality is not so simple as some people have money and others don't. Inequality is there is a system, a society, that requires you to have a certain level of wealth in order to survive. And then takes all of that wealth and gives it to a very few amount of people and then expects the majority of people to still be able to come up with that wealth just to be able to eat, just to be able to afford rent, just to be able to afford a car so that you can get the job that requires that you have a car in order to afford the car that you need for your job. That's the society we live in and I know that we all are privy to it. We've all had that interview where you need the experience but you need the job to get the experience but you need the experience to get the job, right? We all need to go to school so that we can get a job, so that we can earn enough money to go back to school, so that we can get a better degree, so that we can earn enough money, so that we can then afford all of the debt and all of the money that we now owe to the education uh, businesses, to the federal government, or whoever we take our loans out from, just because you know that's the only way that we're going to have a leg up. Um, and that, not for nothing, doesn't make any fucking sense. And that's kind of the whole point of socialism and communism, is that capitalism, for the majority of people, does not make sense. And I'm not saying that to say I don't like capitalism because I've read certain books and so you also shouldn't like capitalism. Look in your wallet. Do you have enough money to make it to the end of the month? If you do, okay, good for you. What happens if you have a car accident today? What happens if your mother dies? What happens if, you know, you get COVID? We don't have COVID relief anymore. We don't get paid from our jobs anymore. If one of us gets COVID, there's a genuine chance that we're just fucked. So just because you have what you need right now doesn't mean you are a member of the group of people that never has to worry for a day in their life, right? And there are those people, there are people who exist in this world, in this country even, who never have to worry for a day about whether or not they're going to have food on their plate, whether or not their children are going to have a bed to sleep in, education, medication. But then there's billions of people all over the world who worry about those things every single day. Every single day, it's a new worry. Am I going to eat tonight? Is my child going to have a bed to sleep in? Am I going to have a job by the end of the night? Because not for nothing, these are all problems that are going to get extremely intensified coming very soon. 
We are in the middle of a global pandemic that our government still refuses to acknowledge in any meaningful way. Sure, we have vaccines and stuff like that. What happens when the next virus comes? Because not for nothing, we didn't change the healthcare system. We didn't change you know, anything to do with how we respond to pandemics. We still don't have, as far as I'm aware of, I could be wrong here, but I believe that we still don't have a pandemic response team uh, because the Trump administration fired them literally a year before COVID. Uh, the problems are going to arise again and again and again. Because the problem is there are contradictions built into the society that we live in that we are not dealing with. It's the same way as if you have an argument with someone and both of you then just hold on to your anger and never address it, right? You're both still mad at each other. You both still have what you want to say. And eventually that's going to erupt. Unless we deal with the problems we are facing today, it is going to erupt into a problem that we have no means to handle. Billions of people will die, and there is nothing that we can do about it as we sit here today. But that doesn't have to be true, and that's kind of the whole point of what I'm trying to do here at In Defense of Liberation, is we have to try to build with one another. We have to try to recognize one another's struggles, and we have to try to come together in order to fight for a world where none of us have to struggle, where the, the society that we live in is intended to benefit the people who live in it. Um, because not for nothing, what else is the point? So that's all I got for you folks today. If you're still listening to this, um, I really appreciate you. Uh, shout out Red Nation. Shout out Red Hour, uh, Red Power Hour, Melanie Yazi, Nick Estes, and all the crew over there at the Red Nation. Um, go ahead and find them on uh, Instagram. They all got Twitters. They got um, YouTube. They got podcasts. They're, they're all over the place. They got a website. Check them out. Um, they're also working on trying to get a show started called, um, oh, geez, Native Reads, um, which they need uh donators they need patron patrons on their patreon so go ahead and check that out and if you would be so willing if you'd be interested in something like that please feel free to uh, donate to them um, because this is uh, this is a project I know they've been working on for a long time and it's something that I myself would really enjoy so I'd love to see it happen um, so yeah uh, go ahead and check them out uh, if you're already on social media and you don't follow your boy um, then go ahead and check me out. I have TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, I also have a website that you can find my blog on called forliberation.wixsite. That's W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com forward slash website. Um, and yeah, go ahead and find me there. You can also find uh, a lot of my podcasts uh, that I've done before. So if you liked this, go ahead and check those out, please. And, uh, yeah. Um, finally, I've been ending my show this way. If you have, you know, for any reason you want to reach out to me, you want to call me a stupid asshole. You want to say everything that I said was wrong, uh, whatever, or you want to reach out to me, try to build, you want to try to come on the show or you want to just, you know, build a relationship, um, reach out to me. You can either reach out to me and DM me on any of my social media, or you can email me at annoyingquestionboy dot or uh, annoyingquestionboy spelled just like that, no caps, no spaces, 
at gmail.com. Um, but yeah, that's, that's all I got for you folks. So I hope everybody's staying well, staying healthy, staying safe and staying sane. Um, I know that a lot of us are hurting right now, a lot. Um, I myself have been struggling a lot, you know, as many people are. Um, and so I think that the only way that we can expect these things to get better is by making them better for each other, with each other. So let's start doing that. Um, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye.